All right, so we are picking it up in Mark, and we're picking it up in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and we really are, we're just going to jump right into the text. So starting at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, that's Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. Just pause there for a minute. So these first couple of verses, they lay out the context for what's been happening. Uh, Mark tells us that all of this is taking place on that day. And if you recall, over the past few Sundays, we have been tracking the series of events that had taken place in Capernaum. So there had been big crowds that had came to see and hear Jesus. Uh, some of Jesus' enemies had shown up. They were trying to oppose him. Uh, there were some demons that had been cast out. Uh, Jesus had spent time publicly preaching, and he had also spent some time privately with his disciples. So this would have been just a very full day. I mean, a lot had happened. Uh, everyone would have been tired. It was now into the evening, we're told, and Jesus says, let's get out of here. Let's go to the other side of the lake. And that would have been, you know, two to three hours sail. And that's where the events of, that we're looking at today take place. So picking it up at verse 37. So they're out in the boat now, out at sea. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they, that's the disciples, woke him and said to him, Teachers, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Let's just pause for a second. So these three verses, they reveal what's really a very important theological truth about who Jesus was. He was fully man and fully God. While it may seem like a really trivial detail, Jesus was tired. He was really, truly tired. He had had a full day, and he fell asleep in conditions that somebody could only sleep in if they were absolutely exhausted. I mean, this would have been an open boat out at sea during a big windstorm. I mean, imagine trying to sleep in a canoe during Hurricane Fiona. And while it might seem like a mindless detail, it's critically important. It emphasizes that Jesus was fully and truly man. He didn't go through his earthly life uh, as God with a veneer of human nature. He really got hungry. He really got tired. He really needed to sleep. And in the book of Hebrews, we read that this was actually necessary, that Jesus had to be fully man to accomplish what he came to accomplish. It says from Hebrews 2, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also came or became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying he breaks the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect, so in every respect, like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself had gone through suffering and testing. He's able to help us when we are tested. 
And it really is an amazing thing that the Son of God came to earth and took on all of our frailties in every respect, as Hebrews tells us. Jesus was fully and truly man. Now, if the story just consisted of Jesus was a man, had a busy day, and was tired and fell asleep, it wouldn't be a very interesting story. But it doesn't end there. So the storm started to rage. The disciples were terrified, thinking they were going to die, and they wake Jesus up. He gets up and speaks to the storm and says, Peace be still. The storm ceases, and there is a great calm. And we know from how the disciples respond that this was supernatural. This wasn't Jesus spoke and the storm died down a little bit, like something undeniably miraculous happened. Uh, J.C. Ruel uh, wrote very poetically about this verse. He said, the, the elements knew the voice of their master, and like obedient servants were quiet at once. And I just think that's great. I mean, this, you know, the, the world knew the voice of their master and complied. And here we see the other nature of God, right? The divine nature, the divine nature that can speak over creation. Like how we read in Genesis, and it's more than 40 other passages in the Bible, where God speaks and the universe complies. And this is the mighty power of God. The, the, ability, the ability to command the universe, to have sovereignty over the universe. And it demonstrates that Jesus was not only fully man, but he was also fully God. So the two natures of Christ, the human and the divine, I mean, it is an important theological truth, and it helps us to understand who God is. But along with the theological truths revealed in these verses, there is a really important application for us, right, and for our lives. And that is that being a Christian does not exempt you from bad things happening in your life. Right? So being a Christian, it doesn't exempt you from bad things happening in your life. The disciples of Jesus, his co-laborers, he called them brothers. They had to live through this. They had to live through this. And it was scary enough that they thought they were going to die. Right? So in our life, we all have hardships, some people more than others. And we know that God uses the difficult trials of our lives to shape us, to grow us, to strengthen our faith. Uh, like how Jesus did in the lesson of the storm for his disciples. So J.C. Ryle, I'm going back to him again. He wrote a great commentary on this. You know, he wrote about this passage, and this is really good. This is really good. He says, let us mark well the lesson. If we are true Christians, we must not expect everything smooth in our journey to heaven. We must count it no strange thing if we have to endure sickness, losses, bereavements, and disappointments just like other men. Free pardon and full forgiveness, grace by the way and glory at the end. All this our Savior has promised to give. But he has never promised that we shall have no afflictions. He loves us too well to promise that. By affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long for heaven. In the resurrection morning, we shall say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. It's the end of the quote. And it's, it's this really profound thought that he has. I mean, and 
I spent a lot of time thinking about this, that God loves us too well to promise us an easy ride through life. He loves us too well. God is like a loving parent. He is keen for us to grow. He is keen for us to mature. He is keen for us to become more like Jesus. And like a loving parent, he has rules. He teaches. He guides. He disciplines his kids for their own well-being. And I just love this list of things that uh, J.C. Ryle talked about what we get out of the storms of the life. He says, you know, first, we learn about our own emptiness and weakness, right? We learn why, why it is that individually and as a whole, we need a savior, right? Second, we're, we're drawn to the uh, throne of grace. I know for myself, it's often the hard times that bring me to prayer and bring me back to God. And when it's when things are going really well, that it's easiest to let those things slide. Third, he purifies our affections and weans us from the world, right? So when the storms come, we learn that, you know, the things of the world, well, they can't save us. And often the world will disappoint us and our hope and our love belong directed at God who really can satisfy. And finally, to help us long for heaven, right? We weren't made for this world as it is now, and it can never truly satisfy. We were made for something better, not marred by sin, And the storms that come, they help remind us of this. They help us to long for something better, where we will spend eternity. So just moving on and returning to the text, picking up at verse 40, Mark writes, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Just pause for a minute there. So when it's all done, the storm is ended, Jesus rebukes his disciples. He says to them, why are you so af- so afraid? Right? And that word could also be timid or cowardly. Have you no faith? By this point in time, the disciples have seen Jesus' power, but their faith in him was fickle. Right? It had been this fair weather faith, and Jesus calls them out on them. It calls them out on it. Right? It was this one-line reminder to his disciples and to us today you know, that we do not have to fear the world, right? We don't have to fear the world. There's nothing that can happen out there in the world that is outside of Jesus' control. And we are to trust in him and put our faith in him. And I mean, if there's any question to chew on in the world, it's uh, chew on this week, it's in light of this passage, it's asked, you know, are there things I fear out there? Are there things I fear in the world? And I mean, I spent a lot of time pondering this over the past few days and And personally, anyway, I think there is a lot of fear in the church of the world. I think a lot of, there's a lot of temptation to water down theology to be more aligned with the world. And there's a lot of temptation to, to isolate, you know, for a church to go into isolation mode out of fear for the world. So picking it up again at verse 41, Mark writes, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? So the disciples were now filled with great fear, but it was no longer of the storm. Right? What we see happening is a correcting of the disciples' emotions. Once they saw the manifest power of Jesus, they stopped fearing the storm, and they started correctly fearing the one who has control over the things of the world. And like the disciples, when we find ourselves struggling with the difficulties in our life, we should look to Jesus and remember that the storms of this life are never outside of his control. 
There's nothing that can happen that God did not allow for his own good or for our own good and his glory. So when difficult times come, we can rest in the goodness and mercy of God, understanding that our time on earth is transitory on the way to glory at the end, as Rao said. And hopefully this gives us some humble confidence when we are in the difficult times in, my, in our lives. And this just brings me to the very last point I want to make. So the passage ends with the disciples asking a very important question. They say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And it's a question that the whole Bible answers, but I briefly want to talk about our passage in Colossians, which is Paul's answer to the question of who is this? Who is this? So in Colossians, Paul wrote, well, he is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He says, for him, for by him all things were created. So Jesus, he was there at creation, speaking the universe into being, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, I mean, that's just an amazing thought that Canada, Justin Trudeau, King Charles, they were all created through Jesus and for him, ultimately. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus still actively holding everything together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So fully God, which we already talked about. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of the cross. So, you know, Paul has a great answer to this question. Who is Jesus, right? Jesus is God. He is all-powerful. He is eternally begotten. He is the ruler of the world. But he also points out that's not why he came to earth as a frail human being. He came to reconcile. He came to reconcile all things, all things on heaven and earth, going to the cross on our behalf. So, so far in the book of Mark, we have read about how everybody's been trying to stop Jesus. The demons have tried to stop him. The civil and religious leaders have tried to stop him. His own family's tried to stop him. Today, we had the weather try to stop him. But Jesus always pressed on in his mission to suffer the punishment his people deserved and to give us his righteousness. So if there's one thing we never have to fear for those of us who are in Christ is what will happen when we ultimately stand before him. Right. If you go a little further in Colossians, and I, I let Annabelle keep reading because it's fitting. Right. You know, it, it says when we ultimately stand before him, we will stand there holy and blameless because Jesus did come and he did come and he did come to finish his mission. And that is to die on our behalf. And I really can't think of a more amazing God to worship. So I'll just pray. Father God, I thank you that you came. I thank you that you came to rescue us. I thank you, Lord God, that you are sovereign over all the world. This ask that you will bless us as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.